0: in our reading of the Gospel of Matthew. Coming to Matthew 15, verse 21 tonight. And this begins a section that goes into chapter 18, where there is much revelation by Matthew of our Lord's intention to bring a light to the nations. And we are beginning to see this being taught and laid down tonight, beginning at verse 21 through 28. Let us pray and then read the text. Our most gracious God and Father, we thank you and praise you for your word, for your promise, for your love, and for your help as we sit at the feet to hear the voice of our Master, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that we can call upon you knowing that you approve of that which we are asking now. Help us to hear. We pray that we would hear with the understanding of faith, that we would believe, that we would indeed find ourselves being reformed by your word as it takes root in us and is renewed in us. Lord, help us tonight. Help our sons and daughters. Help everyone who hears this word To the praise of your name we ask. Amen. Matthew 15, verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon." But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is God's word. In Hosea chapter 2 verse 14, there is a wonderful, beautiful, lovely word from the Lord on how he will recover his wayward people Israel from their long rebellion. The Lord says to Israel, therefore behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Commenting on this verse, the late Samuel Rutherford said, There was no talking to her heart while he and she were in the fair and flourishing city and at ease. But out in the cold, hungry waste wilderness, he allured her. He whispered news into her ear there and said, Thou art mine. It is something just like this that is unfolding in Matthew's record tonight. A woman greatly burdened by sin's power and by the prince of the power of the air, the devil, is drawn out of her ordinary happy life by bitter and unexpected affliction. Her daughter is oppressed by a demon, and it is the woman's impotence and her despair and her anguish that draws her to Jesus Christ. She is drawn into the wilderness, and before her journey is done, she will hear the son of David speak the most tender words to her. Great is your faith. You can live off of that commendation for decades when the Lord gives it to you. But here is the big surprise, and you may have already figured it. This woman is not a woman of Israel. She is a Gentile. She is a Syro-Phoenician by birth. Mark tells us in 726 of his gospel that she lives in the very region of Phoenicia, which has the two large cities, Tyre and Sidon. But Matthew goes a little further in his description of her and calls her a Canaanite woman. Beale and Carson, in their study, say no one in the first century used that term Canaanite anymore. Thus, Matthew is deliberately conjuring up distasteful memories of the pagan Tyrians and Sidonians from Old Testament times. Why would Matthew take this advantage in his reporting on the incident to hang the title Canaanite on this woman? Because as a believing Jew, Matthew wants to provoke his fellow Jews to jealousy. What Paul says later of his ministry in Romans eleven fourteen, Matthew could also say of his ministry as author of this gospel, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Matthew wants the Jews to see that Jesus, the son of David, their own promised Messiah, found and commended in a lowly Gentile mother the faith that should have been rampant throughout Israel for a people who had been given so much. To confirm to you that this is what Matthew is doing, consider where Matthew says this incident took place. Tyre and Sidon. There are two cities, these are two cities that are north of Israel in Phoenicia along the Mediterranean coast. And these were notorious cities. Cities of ill repute. But it was Jesus who already named these two cities back in Matthew eleven twenty one 21 to provoke the Jews to jealousy. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. That's a provocative statement intended to provoke jealousy. So here now, Jesus again is going to disciple his disciples on this very matter. And boy, do these disciples need it. According to verse 23, our text says, when they heard this mother begging Jesus for help, the disciples started begging. They started begging Jesus to send her away. If they were in charge, they would have given her nothing and have gotten rid of her so they could get back to peace and quiet which Mark tells us is the reason Jesus is now up in this region, to finally get away from the crowds of Jews who keep bringing their sick to him to get a little break. So we must understand that all 12 disciples, these 12 Jewish men, still need a much deeper reformation in the doctrine of the covenant of grace. The 12 knew they belonged to a privileged people. They had been promised the Messiah. They had been given the covenants. They had been given the law, the worship, the promises, the patriarchs, the priesthood. They were truly privileged. But they read into their privilege a spirit of deserving. You see, the Jews, including the twelve, were like children who, because they lived in a beautiful house full of delicious foods and wonderful conveniences, thought they must deserve the beautiful house. But they had forgotten it was all given to them by grace. They didn't deserve it. It was given to them by love. So what happened? The children became ungrateful and proud, and they became ignorant Of the glory of their Father's grace. That very feature of their Father that He wanted them to be the most knowledgeable in, they became the most ignorant of. Now, on the edge now of northern Gentile territory, Jesus is going to orchestrate a lesson for His disciples. And for his whole church. And he is going to bring forth from the mouth of this desperate Gentile mother a confession of a sinner's true humility before God. And then he is going to reward it. And it is for the provocation of the Jews. And it is, of course, for the salvation of the woman. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. These are the first words that we hear from the woman as she draws near to where our Lord is. Her wilderness afflictions have already done much to tune her heart for faith in Jesus Christ. Notice she has declared mercy to be the only basis for the cry of help she's making. She has no merits to boast in. She has no merits or privileges to wave around. She has no family name that she comes to bargain on. She has no track record of law keeping to bargain on. She has no ethnic proximity to a Jewish family to bargain with. All her hopes are in the mercy she expects to find in this man this son of David, this Messiah, Jesus. None of her hopes are in herself. Notice also how highly she honors Jesus as Messiah. She calls him the son of David. Somehow the promise of Messiah's coming and of his reign of mercy had reached her ear in the months, perhaps years prior. This means somehow teaching from the law and teaching from the prophets had come to her in Syrophoenicia. And when she heard what was promised to Israel and through Israel promised to the whole world, she cast aside all the plurality of Greek gods in Phoenicia and began her search for the Christ. And her need, her great desperate need to cast Satan out Has quickened her pace. And notice also the other great honor her faith bestows on Christ. He has the power to cast out the devil. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. The clear implication of this statement is you, Jesus, you alone, Jesus, can do something about this. The powers and principalities submit to you, Jesus. Help me, because I need one on my side who will hear my cry, who will deal with the powers and principalities for me. Jesus, you are both the embodiment of divine power and the embodiment of divine mercy to deliver us from evil. This is her first confession. Now in verse 23... The text says, Jesus did not answer her a word, silence. Pregnant silence. The disciples misread the silence. It wasn't an invitation for them to speak. It's not the first time they've misread things. It won't be the last. Think about this silence. I think Calvin is right when he comments, the design of Christ's silence was not to extinguish the woman's faith, but rather to wet her zeal and inflame her ardor. Jesus wants his disciples to hear more from this woman. (laughs) He wants the disciples to see more in this woman. Through silence, the Lord Jesus is drawing out this woman Because she is a rare find in the land of Israel. She has a great faith. That was hard to find. Remember what our Lord said to the Roman centurion who was stationed at Capernaum? Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Matthew 8.10. Well, here he has found it in someone outside of Israel. What a scandal. What a provocation. The silence from Jesus will soon prove that this mother is no mere shopper in the religious marketplace looking for anyone who can take some of the pain away. She had come to a fixed and immovable conviction that Jesus is the Redeemer and nothing is going to put her off now, not even a minute or five minutes of silence. Not even... 12 disciples well maybe it was only a few that we could give names to whoever it was among the 12 their wanting Jesus to get rid of her will not send her away this is by the way a very helpful lesson here this silence to be persistent in prayer isn't it here Jesus is silent and somebody is pounding on the vault of heaven Ohalsby, whom you have heard from before in our Sunday school class a couple years ago on prayer, he speaks of the silence in our text. We too experience similar silence on the part of Jesus. Distress drove you also to Jesus. You pleaded very humbly, but he is silent. He does not dare to help you out of your temporal need. You would forget him again. If he acts too fast. He has brought you to a point where you will listen to him now. And there is something he must tell you. He must get an opportunity to speak to you about the needs of your soul. Which are greater than the temporal distress from which you are asking him to save you. Close quote. Well, the silence lingers for like a fog and the disciples start begging. But they are not begging like the woman is begging. The noisy, needy woman has annoyed them. But she has not annoyed Jesus Christ. Noticeably, the Savior is also silent to the disciples. doesn't speak to them. Verse 24. He speaks to her. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now here our Lord Jesus is stating the order by which the gospel of the kingdom shall advance. In his public ministry, he is to only go to the lost sheep of Israel. It is later, after his resurrection, that his apostles will carry the gospel of salvation to the Gentiles and to the ends of the earth. Paul speaks of this at and sort of bookends in the book of Romans. In chapter 1, verse 16, he says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And then at the end of his letter, chapter fifteen, eight, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Now Christ's redeeming blood is for all the elect of all the nations. But his earthly prophetic ministry, when he was upon the earth, was constrained to the Jews to testify that all that was promised to them through all that they would possessed in the covenants, in the worship, in the temple, in the priesthood, all of it was coming to fulfillment. He even told his disciples not to go outside of Israel. So Jesus is telling the woman that her request as a Gentile is out of season. But this, too, is a testing of her faith. Will she rage at this redemptive historical decorum that Jesus is saying is to be, must be kept? Or will she maintain her humility and not rage, but not retreat? Verse 25, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. There it is. There is the glorious brief prayer of true faith. Lord, help me. I don't know what to say to what you have just said. I do know my need and I do know who you are. Lord, help me. We are supposed to hear the edge of desperation in that, not a polished theological reply to the out of season teaching of our Lord. She sets her need before him, not an excellent answer to the Jews going first. It's one of the most beautiful and shortest petitions in Scripture. But as Barnes says, it is fully and fitly expressing her case. Notice the object she prays unto is the Lord. She owns his sovereignty. She owns his dominion. She owns his power. And notice the request she makes is for help. By this, she signifies that she requires it. She requires help. She could not help herself. No creature could help her. Only he, whom she firmly believes, can help herself. And it is a beautiful thing that when she says, help me, she is including all of her affection and love for her daughter as her own problem, her own trouble. Barnes again. Such was her sympathy, her love, and her affection towards the daughter that she makes the daughter's case her own and calls helping her daughter as helping herself. For her daughter being relieved, she would be made easy. Close quote. This is a great encouragement to every parent, but not just parents. Everyone who is bound by God's providence to an earthly affection We find their troubles our own. To have a child who is ruled by the devil is a problem for me. There is a savior who hears the prayers of such parents. He is before you. Verse 26. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dog's. Now, the Lord may be drawing into the conversation a domestic scene that was very familiar to this mother. Technically, the Greek word he uses for dog is one that would be often in a home as a kind of pet. Maybe not on the bed like they are in the modern world. But she may have seen this scene frequently in her own home. A dog on the floor clearly lower in station and rank and privilege than those at the table. And so the Lord is slowing her down again, testing her faith again. He is drawing her out by putting another obstacle in front of her, but not just any obstacle. The Lord Jesus is creating an obstacle by saying what he says in verse 26 that challenges her, Whether she will regard herself in her proper status in relation to Jesus Christ. Does she see herself in a place of privilege with him? That he owes her help? Will she rage and fume and stomp off at this remark? Or does she see herself as a woman without privilege before him? But desperately in need of him? And what are you when you are without privilege but desperately in need of the one you're before? Beloved, you are a beggar. Jesus is not ashamed to teach us our proper relation with him. We are destitute, without privileges. We are beggars until we are brought to the Father's house and adopted In Jesus Christ. And if she does see herself as a beggar, can she still see Jesus as the Lord whom she just named? Can she still see Jesus with the dominion she just acknowledged over the devil? Can she still see Jesus, if she is a beggar, clearly enough that he is the one that beggars are most received by and before. Because that, beloved, is the greatness of her faith. Not only that she is humble and recognizes her proper relation with Jesus Christ as a destitute beggar, but the greatness of her faith is that she sees Jesus Christ as one who shelters beggars, who shelters the destitute, who succors and comforts and gives treasure to those who have nothing to trade on? That's the heart of saving faith. Not that I'm a wretched beggar. That is not the heart of saving faith. That is a necessary part of saving faith. But his, this, beloved, is what completes the grasp of saving faith. That Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Son of David, is such a glorious and merciful God that beggars are the only ones he shelters, the only ones he takes home, not those who have something to trade on. She said, verse 27, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Notice that she does not challenge the priority Jesus gives to the children. She does not complain and throw eggs at this grand redemptive order that God has set upon the earth in calling the Jews first. She recognizes Jesus is free to distribute his grace to one people and not another. If only the Jews had recognized that. Jesus is busting up the pride of the Jews who think they deserve their privileges. And he is doing it through the confession and words of this Gentile. Beloved, here is the simple lesson of our text tonight. We must never forget that we only have the privileges we have with God by the radical free grace of God in Christ. We do not have the privileges We have with God because we have now been in the church for 10 years or that we have now been members of a reformed church for one year. We do not have the privileges we have with God simply because we are Protestants. We have the privileges we have with God because God came to us when we were destitute and said, I will take you into my treasury. I will take you into my house. I will put my name upon you, and I will cover you with my son's righteousness. And you will now, too, be a son of the Most High God. We must never forget, dear Christians, you must never forget. As you read your scriptures, it is the church, That is full of people who forget how they came to possess the privileges they possess. It is the church. Read the Old Testament. The Jews forgot how they came to possess their privileges. They so deeply forgot they started reading merit into the possession of their privileges. We are susceptible to this error and sin. And you know how it can be diagnosed in us? You know where we can look to see if it's really, truly in us? You know a strong diagnostic test? Are there people you think need to get away from the church because they're too sinful? Don't let those people who are dead in sin come in here. They'll... They'll stink up the place. Don't share the gospel with that kind of person. Don't speak to Jesus about salvation. Don't speak about salvation to those people. They're not good enough to hear it. They're not clean enough to hear it. They're not from the right place. They're not from the right family. If we have any kind of thinking like that, it's a diagnostic that we have been compromised by a spirit of merit that we think we deserve our privileges. The Canons of Dort, Article 3, 4, Section 7, make this glorious description of how we should look out upon the whole world and make sense of why there are any people anywhere who have saving faith in Jesus Christ and who are living now a godly life. Whenever you see that in a home, in a nation, in a city, in a church, the canons of Dort give this answer. The cause of this dispensation is not to be ascribed to the superior worth of one nation above another, nor to their making a better use of the light of nature, but results wholly from the sovereign good pleasure and unmerited love of God, hence they too, whom so great and so gracious a blessing is communicated above their desert, or rather notwithstanding their demerits, are bound to acknowledge it with humble and grateful hearts. Let us pray. Father, we do pray that you would provoke us If the spirit that was found so prevalent among the Jews when Paul was ministering near Jerusalem when our Savior walked her streets if it is found also in us Lord provoke us save us. Father forgive us forgive us when we have return to this spirit of of merit, of reading into our privileges, a spirit of deserving, to the point of even forgetting that every good thing we have, even the ability to show up at a public worship service, is all by grace, and therefore to your praise, therefore a cause of thanksgiving. Therefore, a cause of humility. Therefore, a cause of heartfelt worship. Oh, Lord, help us, we pray. We thank you for the care that you have shown to this finding in a Gentile woman a true faith. And we thank you for the reward that you bestow upon those without merit but who see the glory of your Son. Father, we thank you for the healing power over the powers and principalities of your beloved Son. We thank you that even over us believers, the works of the devil have been broken. Lord, may we now, therefore, rise up in the strength of that true faith and always delight in the Savior who loves and takes in beggars. In his name we pray, amen.